You are listening to Love Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Brunswick, Maine. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Here are some highlights from this week's program. So we're part of an organization uh, called Ski Maine, which Greg Sweets are leads. And the biggest goal is to make sure that these small areas have the resources they need to stay in business. Um, both Sunday River and Sugarloaf uh, try to do what we can to support them, uh, not only from a resource standpoint, uh, but from a knowledge standpoint uh, where we're able to. I learned from so many other people who were in the work, um, other community leaders around the state, of what they were doing in their organizations, and that really helped to inform what we could do. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 268, Beautiful Bethel, airing for the first time on Sunday, November 6, 2016. Nestled in Maine's Oxford Hills, the town of Bethel has long welcomed homeowners and recreational enthusiasts alike. Today, we speak with people who know and love this beautiful town, Dana Bolin, Resort President and General Manager of Sunday River Ski Resort and Executive Director of the Bethel Area Chamber of Commerce, Robin Zinchuk. Thank you for joining us. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Berlin City Honda, where the car buying experience is all about easy. After all, life is complicated enough and buying a car shouldn't be. That's why the Berlin City Honda team goes the extra mile by pre-discounting all their vehicles and focus their efforts on being open, honest, and all about getting you on the road. In fact, Berlin City recently won the 2015 Women's Choice Award, a strong testimony to their ability to deliver a different kind of car buying experience. Berlin City Honda of Portland. Easy. It's how buying a car should be. Go to BerlinCityHondaMe.com for more information. Today it is my great pleasure to have Dana Bullen in the studio with me. Dana has served as the resort president and general manager of Sunday River since September 2004 and brings to the position more than 25 years of ski industry and management experience. Prior to his promotion to resort president and general manager, Dana served as vice president of partnership marketing for American Skiing Company, where he oversaw corporate partnership programs for the company's entire resort network. A native of Farmington, actually New Sharon, Dana tells me, Dana worked his way up to the ski business ladder shortly after college, holding various positions at Sugarloaf and their award-winning Sugarloaf Golf Club as their golf pro. Thanks for coming in. Good morning. So... I have actually been through New Sharon. We were talking about this. And it's interesting because I, I haven't met a lot of people who are from there. It's a pretty small town. It is. Um, pretty special place. Uh, I guess the reason I'm in the ski industry is because very close to New Sharon is a small resort or small ski mountain called Tickham. And when I was two years old, my parents started taking me. And I skied pretty much every weekend from that point until 50 years later today. It's been a great journey that started very close to New Sharon. Well, believe it or not, I've actually been to Tickham, so I've, I've actually, I think, skied there myself quite a while ago, but um, I would agree with you. It's, and I love the, the fact that we still have in Maine the smaller ski resorts that 
are almost feeders for the bigger mountains sometimes? Yeah, they're not only feeders for the mountain, but they're feeders for the industry as a whole. So we're part of an organization uh, called Ski Maine, which Greg Sweetser leads. And the biggest goal is to make sure that these smaller areas have the resources they need to stay in business. Um, both Sunday River and Sugarloaf uh, try to do what we can to support them, uh, not only from a resource standpoint, uh, but from a knowledge standpoint uh, where we're able to. And they also, I mean, I don't want to just say that they are feeders for bigger mountains because they are very active and vibrant communities in their own right. They sure are. Um, both my kids were ski racers. And so we went back, if you'd have it, and I came from Tickham, uh, went to Saddleback, started work at Sugarloaf, went to Sunday River. But then when the kids got on the race circuit, we had the opportunity to go back to every ski resort in the state of Maine. There's something really, really special about each one of them. I would I would absolutely agree with that, and I, I remember from my own cross-country ski racing days and being on the Yarmouth ski team, I mean, that was something that was so interesting, was to, to go into the communities, to be at these smaller places, to see really the support of the community members for skiing in general. People who are not skiers would come out and they would help organize the races, which was I found really fascinating. The heritage, you mentioned the Yarmouth team still today, right? Uh, the, the folks that create the passion pass that on from place to place, whether you're talking about Black Mountain or Tickham, there's these folks that, that pass on that, that passion for being outdoors, for cross-country skiing, for alpine skiing, and, and the heritage that goes along with that's really special. So when you were growing up in New Sharon, did you think that you would have this lifelong affiliation with the ski industry? You, you know, it's funny. I, I guess I thought I was going to be a school teacher. Um, that's what I got a degree in, and I felt like uh, that's where I was going to spend the rest of my life. I showed up at um, Sugarloaf to work for just half a winter, and I never left. Uh, I fell in love with uh, working in the industry almost immediately. Uh, and quite honestly set the goal of I wanted to be the guy th that was responsible for that resort. Uh, very early on in my career uh, was able to get passed around from job to job within within the ski resort which helped me have the background to do what I do today. I remember when we did a wellness story on the Sugarloaf Ski Patrol and there were people who um, were, had kind of similar stories, that they understood that they were going to be part of this bigger industry. They got their education, they came into the industry, and they learned a variety of different, I mean, the ski patrol is obviously very highly qualified, mm -hmm. but they had a really broad experience. Mm -hmm. Is that common within the industry? It, it, we, we have such an array of folks um, that come in for different reasons. We have retired folks at Sunday River that show up and, and want to make the rest of their life part of the ski industry, which is great. We have kids coming right out of college. At Sunday River, we work with the UMF Industries program. Uh, we bring kids there, uh, who one of whom now is out at Big Sky, very successful. Uh, th there's such a wide array of people that when you have 1,200 team members, the, the background of them is very diverse. What has it been like for you to go from 
spending quite a lot of time at Sugarloaf to now being at Sunday River and being like the guy. Hmm. It's uh it's been an incredible life. Uh, the The ability to work at two great ski resorts uh, is amazing, but the number of people I've come in contact with throughout the whole thing is special. It's really fun for me to watch people grow, <clears throat> and if you look at Sunday River, there are nine active general managers and resort presidents that are out there and, and that have come through Sunday River in the last 15 years. That's a pretty special feeling to work somewhere that's a feeder to the rest of the industry. Um, It's fun to get up every day and work with people who are motivated and and excited to be outdoors. Outdoors is a big piece of my life, whether it's skiing or hunting or fishing. I truly enjoy every minute of it. You also have the opportunity to work with people not just here in Maine. You've, You've been able to network with people really all over the country, maybe even all over the world. It's funny. One of the one of the things that I got thinking about before I showed up down here was people that have influenced me. Um, they have been from uh, all over different resorts, all over the world, uh, different people mentoring me on different subjects, working with people from Steamboat, working with people from Big Sky, working for a family like the Kirchers, the Boyne family that's been with us the last seven years has been amazing to come back into a ski resort family. Uh, it's, it's been quite a ride. The ski industry has um, has interesting challenges that maybe not every industry has. For example, last winter, there was a little bit of scarcity of snow, which I know that you have snow making, so that's n- not something insurmountable. But, but as I said, it's almost like being a farmer where you're kind of watching the skies all the time and wondering how this is going to impact you economically. Well, speaking of being a farmer, the Farmer's Almanac came out yesterday and said we're going to have a cold and snowy winter, which makes me really excited. We have the luxury in the ski industry. It's changed a lot, right? I've been in it for the last 30 years. It's changed. And uh, snowmaking capabilities today, you've seen it. You've witnessed it at Sunday River and the power we have to to make snow. Uh, The grooming techniques, uh, the technology we have as it relates to understanding weather and how it impacts us. It's... uh, It has a great effect on making sure that even in a tough winter, people can still have a good time at the ski resort. How do you work with uh, the fact that if it's not snowing in Massachusetts, maybe people are thinking, well, it's not snowing in Maine. Maybe I don't need to go skiing. We we attack it from a number of different angles, one of which uh, you've experienced the Red Bull frozen rush at Sunday River. And so when you immediately say to somebody, we're going to hold a truck race with 800 horsepower trucks on the side of a ski resort, they kind of look at you strange. Nick Lambert, who does an incredible job as our vice president of marketing, decided that this was something he was going to attack uh, because it was going to put our name out there with folks. And it was going to show people uh, how much snow we had, even on a challenged year, which I did last year. Um, there's events, the Santa Sunday events, uh, the, those help as well. But there's no question, there's no substitute for when it snows six inches right where we're setting in Portland. I like the fact that Bethel has become a destination in its own right. So you're not just talking about um, Sunday River and skiing at Sunday River. You're also talking about the ability to get really world-class food at some of your restaurants. Mm. You're talking about being able to go to the Outdoor Discovery Center for some of your summer stuff. I mean, you, you're, you're doing so much in that region to make it a year-round experience for people. 
I think we are. I think the expectations have changed drastically. Uh, 20 years ago, you could say it's all about the snow. Uh, today, it's about the snow and people's expectations of what they're going to do with their families, uh, what they're going to do on the time that surrounds their their outdoor time, whether that's skiing or hiking or golf, uh, the food, uh, the other amenities, the lodging components, the, the expectations have increased and I think we're doing a pretty good job of meeting it. I also understand that Sunday River is a resort is part of a big community in Bethel and Newry and we rely on a whole bunch of other folks to bring that experience to our guests as well. Um, I was thinking about, um, I, I think about my own ski experience and I'm very early on I would get my college ski pass and then in order to kind of make sure I got the value out of it, I would be there like as the lifts open and then I would ski till as the lifts close and I could do it through any sort of weather and any sort of um, temperature drops. Uh, now I'm a little bit older. I don't necessarily want to be on the slopes all the time. My kids are a little bit older. Sometimes they want to be on the slopes, sometimes they don't. And I love that flexibility. I love that you don't have to feel like all you can do when you go out there is ski. Is this something that you're noticing that the this changes over someone's lifespan? Yeah, it sure is. And now the good news is, is backing you up is the next college kid who will be out there during the rainstorm and and be out there, uh, being out there uh, early season and late season. Um, but as people's uh, people grow, we've seen a lot of changes. We do night skiing at the resort. the The biggest uh, the biggest users of night skiing, first of all, is teens. That are kind of stuck in the middle of what do they do and, and how do they do it but right on their heels are grandparents and grandkids so mom and dad are out having a nice dinner and either grandma or grandpa has got the young child out with them skiing at night and watching those demographics change um, you see it in our hotels with our lodging you see it uh, see it with the condos uh, the demographics change but I think we're doing a pretty decent job of meeting the needs of everybody Tell me about some of the things that you've been um, putting in place over the last three or four years at Sunday River. I, I've eaten at your restaurant, which was really quite wonderful several years ago when it first opened. And um, I know that Harding Lee Smith is, is bringing another restaurant up there. I mean, what's the vision behind that? So the vision behind camp um, was to take a restaurant that really wasn't branded, um, really didn't have a personality, and turn it into a place that was comfortable. Uh, turn it into a place that when, when folks walked in, they could drop out uh, and feel like they're part of a community. When you say the word camp in the state of Maine, um, you could be referring to a lake house, you could be referring to an outdoors hunting camp, you could be referring uh, to a place on the coast. People have this camp is not so much a place, is it is a state of mind and so when we created camp and David Pooley helped us brand that we did that restaurant trying to create uh, that sense along with making sure that the food was the type of food you could get throughout the state of Maine we partnered several years ago uh, with a woman named Pak Sun Lane uh, and she brought Cho Sun into our base lodge. It has been an incredible experience for our guests to be able to, in ski boots, eat some of the best sushi in the state of Maine. Harding Lee Smith, who is uh, you know, undoubtedly one of the best restaurant operators in the Northeast, is coming up to do something in the North Peak Lodge and we're really excited to work with him on that.
I actually really love the idea of um, doing things out of places like the North Peak Lodge. I love the places that you can, it, it almost feels like you have to work a little to get there. Mm. But then the reward is so great. And I think this is one of the things that really appeals to people who like to ski, the sense of adventure. It is. And, and part of skiing is that sense of independence. And you, you make a choice every time you get on a lift. Which lift are you going to get on? Where are you going to ski? Where are you going to sneak off to for lunch? And, and people love having those special places that, that they can uh, call their own out there. I also love about skiing that it's it's such a family-oriented activity that I brought my children up there when they were quite small. I think my child who was born in February probably had her on skis the following winter. And it's something that really can age with you as a family and bring you together. It sure can. As I said earlier, mom and dad started taking me skiing when I was two. That translated um, several years later to my wife and I taking our children skiing when they were two. It's become a lifestyle for us. Um, it's become a family activity. And every, every weekend I see families and next generations of families and new kids coming up. And that's a really fun part of the job. I've also seen that, that it creates a, a bond between parents and teenagers during a time that can be a little challenging. But when I've skied with my kids who are teenagers, um, you know, sometimes they'll go out and they'll have their GoPro on or they'll be over at the snow park and they'll be doing completely different activities. But at the end of the day, we all come together, we all have dinner, we all talk about what's been going on. And that's something that you don't always get during that age range. It is, and the great news is it's really hard to use a cell phone when you're on a chairlift. So some of the best family conversations can happen when there's not a thing else to do other than to be in nature and be together. I think that's that's special. It's also special talking about chairlifts just off the cuff. When you, you are, I don't want to use the word forced, but you are given the chance to ride a chairlift with somebody that maybe you've never, ever met before. And you can really come up with some interesting conversations. You can really meet some interesting people. And that's not an experience that a lot of us have. Saturday mornings, um, I, go, I ski every day. Uh, that, that's part of what I view as my job, is to go out and see what our guests are going to ski. Uh, really unique in the fact that I get to go out early, watch the sunrise, be out there with ski patrol, spend some time with them. But it's also fun when the chairlift's open to the public. I stay out for about an hour and a half and just ski around. And some of the chairlift conversations are just very, very interesting. We have a Canadian gentleman who lives right uh, next to Mount Tremblant that actually skis and rents a place at Sunday River because of the snow and the difference. And bumping into people like that just, just makes your day. Sunday River has also become known for adaptive skiing, which I think is great because um, the more people we can get out on the slopes, the better. You've been doing it quite a number of years. We have. Um, it's truly a part of who we are at Sunday River now. Uh, it's part of the DNA. It's something that as long as Sunday River there, uh, Maine Adaptive will be there with us as well. Uh, pretty pretty unique folks in that uh, group of people as well. Uh, very motivational to watch what some of these people go through and still just have an incredible time. There's a young man graduated um, from Boston College that skis there every weekend now and it's a struggle for him to get to the slopes but once he's there it's an art form to watch this kid up on the hill. It's amazing. 
It seems to me that what you're trying to do is really just um, create greater access, greater access for different people at different stages in their lives or with different levels of ability or um, really different, I don't know, passions for the, for the sport. Is that a fair assessment? It is. One of my, one of my favorite pictures as it relates to Maine Adaptive, they sent me, um, they had a Wounded Warrior project up there, and they sent me a picture of one of our trails with 12 empty wheelchairs sitting beside it. Knowing that there were 12 people out on sit skis was, was really impactful. So doesn't that also speak to this sense of adventure that probably is within all of us, if not many of us anyway, that it, maybe you are a wounded veteran or maybe you were born with some different ability um, and you need adaptive services, but, but there's still something within you that doesn't, that never, that, that doesn't get blunted. It doesn't. It's interesting you, you bring that up. We work with the Hope Association as well at Sunday River, and, and they bring folks to us that have uh, the challenges, that have disabilities of varying forms. And what I've come to learn from them is every person has something to contribute. We have this one gentleman named Richard who, um, I'm not sure what his disability is, but he talks very slowly. And I, I see him every morning. And you need to be prepared when you say hello to Richard because it is, uh, it's gonna take a minute. But last winter when things were going pretty rough, um, Richard stopped saying, have a good day to me to have a good destination and I thought that was part of Richard's handicap that he maybe he was confusing his words until I realized one day that he could tell that that I was becoming more sullen as it didn't snow and I finally got what he was communicating and it was funny because once I dusted myself off and got going again a couple days later Richard went right back to have a good day Every person has a chance to contribute, and that, that's something I've learned from that Hope Association. So how do you, uh, let's say, weather the storms or weather the lack of storms, how, how do you keep a positive perspective on, and, and, and look at the longer-term goals when things are not going well? So that's the job, right? That's the, that's the key to it all. Um, if you're going to lead, uh, it needs to be uh, serving everybody else. Part of serving everybody else is making sure you're the guy that tries to maintain that, that attitude. It isn't always easy. Things always don't go right. We don't always meet all the needs of our guests. Uh, but if we can get our entire leadership team focused on positive energy and taking care of the team members, the team members will take care of the guests. It just it rolls right through. Uh, we've gone through this incredible process of servant leadership that Boyne introduced to us seven years ago, and it's had a pretty big impact on our resort all around. So what's what would be the single biggest lesson that you've learned in all, you've, all of your years of working in the ski industry and now with Sunday River? Boy, if I... If, if I could go back and, and teach myself to talk less and listen more, um, I spent a lot of time leading and charging the hill. And what I realized is that, that asking more questions, uh, getting more people involved, and putting their thoughts into the future has far more impact sometimes than, than doing that. So, so listening more than listening more than talking. 
you're still a young guy, so it seems likely that you're you're going to be able to put that into practice moving forward. I would think. Hmm. I, I hope to be there 20 more years. As I've said earlier, it's it's so much a part of your lifestyle. I, I can't imagine not getting up and going there every day. I'd also be remiss if I didn't tell you that I loved it. I, I love going to work. I love the skiing. I love the outdoors. It, it's really it's really a great lifestyle. I've been speaking with Dana Bullen, who has served as the resort president and general manager of Sunday River since September 2004, and who brings to the position more than 25 years of ski industry and management experience. I really appreciate your coming in and talking with me today. We will put the link to your website in our show notes, and I don't think it's hard for people to find Sunday River, so I encourage them to do so. Thanks for coming in. Thank you very much. That was fun. Experienced chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants, The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch Lobsterman bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit theroomsportland.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is Portland's largest gallery and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space. The current show schedule includes Ruth Hamill, Joanne Perrin, Alan Bunker, and Jean Jack. For complete show details, please visit our website, artcollectormain.com. As a longtime um, lover of the Bethel area and skier and, I guess, enjoyer of foods in that area and the lovely landscape, um, I can't really say more to uh, help people want to enjoy this, except I think that our next guest can probably do an even better job than me. This is Robin Zinchuk, who is the executive director of the Bethel Area Chamber of Commerce, a position she has held since March of 1986. In her professional career, Robin has brought the chamber from a tiny nonprofit organization with a post office box and a telephone answering machine to one with more than 225 business members, three full-time staff, and a budget of more than $350,000. Amazing. You're doing great stuff out there in Bethel. It's uh, been a wonderful journey. Uh, Incredible groups of people have helped along the way. Um, I pretty much work with all volunteers, the board members, the volunteers that come and help at projects and events, and uh, we've all together made it a really great organization and um, have really, I think, helped to put the Bethel area on the map in all four seasons. I mean, the very, one of the very first things you said was that you're a lover of skiing, and I think that's what a lot of people think about when they think about Bethel and the Bethel area, and obviously Sunday River and Mount Abram as ski destinations. But it's so much more than that, and I think that we've really helped um, to bring people forward that could can help to tell the story of uh, why it's such an incredible place to visit. But we've seen a steady stream of people who have 
maybe originally been visitors there. Maybe they were skiers or they came and hiked or whatnot, but they really love the vibe of the place. And they've come and brought now their talents from wherever it is they came from and uh, really have enriched the community in so many ways. The Bethel area is a really becoming a terrific place to for young retirees to come because they really value that community life that maybe the small town that they were from at one point in one of the southern New England states or mid-Atlantic states and they've seen so much change and um, growth that they're yearning for the more simpler uh, community-centered existence and and those folks obviously coming with almost a whole lifetime of experiences and perspectives have really enriched the area so I've really enjoyed um, kind of leading in a way that helps to facilitate people um, to come forward that's sort of that what I think my biggest gift to the uh, community has been. You began doing this back in 1986. I was just a very, very young girl, I guess, young woman, 29 years old. That was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. So you've yeah. made an incredible commitment to this area. You know, and I don't think that when I started, I foresaw doing it for my life's ambition. I don't think I got into it thinking of that that way. I was a business owner. I owned a bed and breakfast. My husband and I bought a big old home right on the Bethel Common, and we didn't really know what we were going to do with it. And somebody suggested a bed and breakfast because Sunday River was starting to grow, and there wasn't enough room base for the skiers. And um, so it was in being a business owner first that I got um, interested in the Chamber of Commerce. I really didn't even know what a Chamber of Commerce was when I first moved to the community. But we were, it was a, just a group of volunteers. Um, and, and at the time that I came onto the scene, the group that was very involved was starting to get tired and a little burnt out. And, and so a few other young business owners and myself got together and we started dreaming about what the community could use and what the business community needed as Sunday River was starting to grow and more people were coming to open small business. And so uh, it was very, very part-time back then because I had little kids. When I first uh, started with the chamber, I had two small children under the age of two and a half. And, uh, and then I quickly got pregnant with my third, and um, it was oh my, and then the fourth came, and it was oh, oh my. And um, so I did the chamber as I could um, with lots of other helpers, um, and it's just really grown. I didn't really do the work full-time until all of my children were in school, and I had lots of people helping me. My husband's always been self-employed, so we kind of did our kids as a team. Um, they were all active little boys involved in lots of different things, and, and uh, so the chamber um, work 
just happened as we could make it happen. And uh, I learned from so many other people who were in the work, um, other community leaders around the state, of, of what they were doing in their organizations, and that really helped to inform what we could do. And uh, it's, yeah, it's just been a journey. Um, I think the um, one of the biggest turning points in the work was the year that I spent in Leadership Maine. And um, the intention of that program is to take 40-some-odd different individuals from all over the state and help us to understand about the Maine economy, all the different facets of the Maine economy. And one of the very first trips that we took was up to Arusta County after Loring Air Force Base had closed. And we heard the story of the people of Arusta County determined not to uh, all have to leave because there was a big majority of people who had somehow been employed by the, by the base or in conjunction with the prosperity that the base brought to Arusta County. And that was just one, st- that was really inspiring, but there were lots of other stories. We came here to Portland and we learned about Congress Street and the rebirth of Congress Street and how nonprofits and the municipal government and private businesses work together to ensure that Congress Street could prosper and they brought the 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 main college of art downtown and they re um, invigorated Merrill Auditorium and they rebuilt the organ and the multicultural center up at the other end of Congress Street and it was just those were each month's topics and went around and learned about these incredible entrepreneurs in different corners of the state who were really making things happen. And so I've always taken those lessons back to my own community and said, wow, if they if people can do what they have done despite all kinds of difficult circumstances working against them, we can work with our assets to make this community and this region great. And so that was a gift. That Leadership Maine year was a real gift. It is interesting to think about Maine because we we are a state that's been in transition really from from the very beginning. I mean, we've we've had paper mills and other sorts of mills come and go and Sometimes they linger a little bit longer, sometimes they don't. At one point, Bethel was considered a great farmland and was supplying fruits and vegetables to people, I think, really in this part of the world, somewhere around the Civil War, if I'm remembering mm-hmm. correctly. Yeah. And we've we've been lots of things to lots of people for hundreds, well, thousands of years, if you consider the Native Americans who have lived here. So if we've if we decide that we're going to be whatever it was that we whatever it is we are now, and we, we need to stick with that, that identity, then we're probably not going to be successful. We probably do need to be able to transition, as you've described. Yeah, and uh, when I first moved to Bethel in 1984, there were seven working mills. And right now we're down to Hancock Lumber, which is a fantastic employer. Um, but when you think about how 
um, many people those mills employed and then suppliers to those mills. Um, it's pretty incredible the transition that just our little community has um, gone through. And you know, Sunday River, as Sunday River grew, um, became a real impetus for the hospitality industry to which has Bethel has long had a history of hospitality for a couple of hundred years. Um, uh, a couple hundred years ago, the trains came and brought people from Boston and New York, and we had these incredible, beautiful homes that were built in what's now the National Historic District, these statesmen and stateswomen and whatnot, who, and co composers and conductors, and people that came to Bethel to rest. They, they actually came to seek um, uh, rest from the city life and that's been part of Bethel's story as well and so we've had this spirit of hospitality for a long time but you know when we were really relying on the mill economy it was not the focus and really it is uh, has become the focus I think of our community but you know the hospitality story and the hospitality assets that we can market have brought all these interesting people. You know, we've got this huge wellness movement that is um, really very alive and well. You know, lots of people that have brought their interesting talents. Um, and so there's a real vibe around wellness. And then we've got the incredible Maine Mineral and Gem Museum that is soon to open in 2017. And, and that has amplified the uh, the gem and mineral story that has again been very, very much a part of Maine's story in general, especially Oxford County, which has this incredible repository of natural gemstones. And not, you know, there there's a circle of people that have known that, but the Maine Mineral and Gem Museum will be able to tell the story to a much broader audience, and it's going to be a, an incredible attractor um, of. Uh, individuals that will each, I think, you know, oftentimes, and I think we all experience this when we travel, we don't necessarily know how the experience of going to a place is going to impact us. And um, we hear the story time and time again. I came to Bethel 15 years ago for a season. And the story is is now, you know, I mean, it just lives on. And people are, are I think, feel very blessed to be in a place that is uh, where folks know one another, they see each other, they greet one another, they're looking out for one another. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really pretty special place. You know all about coming somewhere and staying because you actually came to Maine to visit your sister and then yes. you stayed you, and we gave you a questionnaire to fill out and you said we asked what kept you here the landscape the people the promise of a fulfilling life in a more rural place but you came from New Jersey I did so tell me about that tell me about that contrast or or maybe comparison maybe there's some similarities between where you came from and where you have lived now well, um, I was I was born and raised in the suburbs of New Jersey, so about 35 miles outside of New York City, and I went to college um, in New Jersey. Uh, my degree was in teaching, 
And when I graduated in 1978, it was one of those cycles where there weren't a lot of teaching jobs. There was an over, you know, an overage of teachers and not enough jobs. And so I took stock of that. I actually traveled for a few months with a girlfriend out west. And I was blessed actually to have a father who was a teacher. And, and my parents met on the west coast, although they were both from the east coast. And so they had a lot of friends out west. And so we traveled back and forth across the country a lot. Um, uh, every opportunity that my parents could throw us in the back of the van and, and or the station wagon and take us traveling. And so I saw a lot of places. And when I came to this realization that I don't think, I didn't think that I was destined to stay in New Jersey. Um, it happened that my sister and her husband um, came to West Paris, Maine, and they were doing kind of the back to the land movement. They had saved up money, and they bought a hundred and some odd acres in West Paris. And um, I came to visit them, and uh, actually, ironically, I met my husband, who was the storekeeper down at the end of the road, and he and I were raised uh, about a mile and a half from one another in East Brunswick, New Jersey, and I never knew him there. Um, he was just enough ahead of me in school that I didn't meet him, and uh, so we had that common bond, I guess, and uh, after a few months, I decided to move in and help him work in his little general store, you know, those stores that you, if if people remember the old TV show Petticoat Junction, you know, it was like that little store where everybody came and sat on the milk crates next to the potbelly stove and exchanged stories about their gardens or hunting or the weather or the neighbors or whatever the topic of the day was. And I saw the beautiful simplicity in people and I had seen that in my travels, but I was not experiencing that in my hometown. People were in a rush. There was constantly traffic. Um, I just, it just wasn't fitting me. I was fine as a kid there. I feel blessed that I was raised there. Um, I love New York City. I'm very comfortable with going there, and um, but I just um, yearned for a more a slower lifestyle, I guess, and uh, and that's what I found. And um, my journey from West Paris led to Bethel um, when the state uh, bought our store, a little general store, to relocate the road. And so we were looking for a place where we could live and operate a business, and that's when we bought the big old house on the Bethel Common and opened what's now the Chapman Inn bed and breakfast. And so uh, that's the, the sort of the beginning of my main journey. You also seem to get around a lot. I see you at a lot of events in other parts of the state. So as much as you love Bethel, you also love the connections that you've made to people in other places. Yeah, I think that I've, I've been very, very blessed through my career that my board of directors, the whoever is my immediate bosses, have really encouraged me to be active and to um, uh, be active in tourism 
uh, related things in Augusta. Um, I was on the governor's, I was appointed by Governor Baldacci at the time to the Maine Quality of Place Council, and they were yearning for someone from a more rural area of the state to be on the council to help to enrich the learning of uh, and the discussions. And and so I've been really fortunate. Um, I've traveled through the cha- my chamber work. Uh, we have an organization in Maine called the Maine Association of Chamber Executives, and it's a professional development learning opportunity. And so we get together two or three times a year in different areas of the state. And so I uh, really have... Um, enjoyed my travels. It's take, my, my work has taken me to all corners of the state, um, from Arista County to Washington County to Southern Maine and every place in between. And I've made friends. And I, you know, it's easy. I think it's easier here in Maine. And maybe some might debate this, but it's easy to know people because we're only 1.3 million people here in the state. And if you're a community advocate, um, it's really easy to get to know people. Um, now that I've been in the work for a long time, uh, there, there are folks who want me to be on their advisory committee. I'm finding that sometimes I have to turn down invitations because there's just so much of me to go around, and I, don't, I want to do a good job when I agree to do something. Um, but I just love it. I love the coast. My husband and I just bought a home in, on Oars Island in Harpswell, and we're active um, and very avid sea kayakers, and so we've been up and down the coast, and it's not until you really get out, the, out into the water and look back that you realize how beautiful the the coastline is. I mean, you can, you certainly experience the the wonderful little seaside towns and whatnot and the economy that they have but man you get out on the water it's sort of like being on top of a mountain and looking out at this incredible landscape that you can really fully appreciate it's like you have to be up or out to really you know when sometimes when you're in the middle of it you don't necessarily see it but being out on the water and it doesn't I mean we've been out, out here in Casco Bay and we just are blessed to live in such an incredible state. The communities, the people are just fantastic. And and I've also just realized that the collaborative spirit is alive and well here. People do really want to work together and help one another to be better. And the more we realize that we don't have all the answers, that there's a different perspective, a different way of doing things, the better we all are. And it's been great. What do you see in the future for Bethel? Well, I I see us becoming more and more aware of um, climate. Um, and, I mean, last winter was a real lesson in how dependent we are on our snowy winters. And I think it makes us more, when we realize the de- dependency is not a good thing, um, that we realize that we have all the tools in our toolboxes to 
prosper um, no matter what. Um, but uh, I think we can be sensitive and, and make decisions that are going to be better for our environment. And I think our businesses are doing those good things. I mean, Hancock Lumber does an incredible job. Sunday River and Mount Abram are doing incredible things to um, to really be good stewards of our environment. So I, I see us becoming more uh, diversified. And the, the Mineral and Gem Museum, um, I mean, there's been a lot of anticipation about that facility opening and what it may help to create on Main Street Bethel. All the major highways bypass little the village of Bethel and in some ways that's a blessing and in some ways it's not because a lot of people miss um, the village and as they they think the town of Bethel is the blinking light where the um, intersection of Route 2 and Parkway is. Um, because they just miss it. Despite we put up signs that say historic village and straight ahead and you know but there are people that miss it and I think that the intentionality of the visitation to the Mineral and Gem Museum is going to be um, have spectacular um, lasting effects. It will help to inspire the the small business owners on Main Street that sometimes they get discouraged because they, again, this feeling of over-dependency on Sunday River, on the snow, or on something that is outside of our control. And um, so it just makes us more resourceful. Um, we have this wonderful um, edible Bethel uh, initiative going on that involves everything from the youngest uh, student-led um, initiatives to our active senior community all working together to bring um, attention to uh, being closer to the earth, uh, you know, raising vegetables and our food. And um, so there's a lot of really positive things happening there that I'm, I feel very proud to be a part of. Well, I appreciate your coming in and talking to us about what's going on in Bethel, and also I appreciate the work that you've been doing as the executive director. Um, we've been speaking with Robin Zinchak, who is the executive director of the Bethel Area Chamber of Commerce and absolutely a friend of Maine Magazine, and I appreciate, I appreciate you just in general, and I, I think about people who are cheerleaders for our place and our state, and you are definitely one of them, and you are doing a really, really good job, so thank you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 268, Beautiful Bethel. Our guests have included Dana Bullen and Robin Zinchuk. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Love, Maine Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter, and like our Love Maine Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter as Dr. Lisa, and see my running travel, food, and wellness photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love Maine Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love Maine Radio to you each week. 
This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our beautiful Bethel show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of Berlin City Honda, The Rooms by Harding Lee Smith, Maine Magazine, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music have been provided by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producer is Paul Koenig. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasik. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. For more information on our host's production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com. Here's a clip from our upcoming interview with me, Love Maine Radio producer Spencer Albee. It is a lot. Um, I don't know how many... I kind of did like a Spotify check on other artists, and it, it really is a lot of records. It's, since I've started professionally, it's a... Uh, it's almost a record a year, 21 years about that I've been doing this. You were born here in Maine. I was, York. And you grew up in York. Well, <clears throat> technically I was born in Dover, New Hampshire, but... Well, we'll, we'll still let you be... Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Do I qualify as a native? Yes. Well, since you probably crossed the border at a few days of age, mm-hmm. I would imagine. It wasn't my choice. Yes. And I was just down in York for the York Hospital fundraiser, and... Um, it was interesting to have people in the audience come up to me afterwards and say, I knew Spencer when. Mm-hmm. One of them was your piano teacher. Who yeah, Ray DeMarco. And he was doing piano for the event, and he was very excited to have me mention your name during the presentation that so funny. we gave. But then also somebody that you went to high school with, who is a radiologist now with York Hospital. Yeah, Jenny Cutts. And you've clearly, you've maintained some... Um, some strong relationships over the years with your hometown. Yeah, I still feel very connected to it. I go back, I was recently uh, asked to speak at the, uh, the honors dinner, which was for kids who have maintained, um, uh, was it a B plus or, yeah, like a B plus or higher. Overall, like no, no C's, not an average, just like all grades, B plus or higher, which is really impressive. And it was also very curious that they had me speak at it because I had a little bit more of a creative approach to my high school education. I'll leave it at that, I guess. Well, I mean, it, it, yeah, it seems like they still, when they think of Spencer Albee, they think of a person who has made a success for out of himself. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're very kind to say so. And, and it actually kind of gives me pause where I can... Because I feel like... If I were to look at where I'm at now through the eyes of, you know, my eyes at 18, maybe I'm not where I thought I would be or how, you know, in the specific terms of success as I defined it then. But to kind of look back now at 40 and realize that, like, I'm still, like, I'm still allowed to be a musician. I'm still allowed to primarily do uh, what I... You know, what I uh, I feel like I'm born to do is very fortunate. And there's a lot of people who are not that fortunate. They've had to take jobs that maybe they they don't like or aren't as inspiring. <clears throat> it comes with, comes with its own struggles for sure. But um, ultimately, though, I, I feel very lucky. And having those moments like, you know, my, my uh, uh, some of my high school friends or 
former teachers or Ray Ray DeMarco, for instance, had the unfortunate uh, task of prepping me for USM because I didn't know how to read music. I still don't. I mean, I understand the fundamentals of it, but some people can you can put sheet music in front of them and they can play beautifully, and I just can't make the connection between the written note and my hands. It gets stuck somewhere behind my eyeballs. <laughs> but yeah, I do feel very fortunate, and it is a it's a good community to be part of. For sure. A lot, I mean, there's a lot of people up here involved, even with the magazine, Matt Cosby. He's from New York, Derek Lombardi, who's also my manager. And there's a lot of us, and we still kind of, you know, band together in a, in a really fun way. I, I honestly had only ever kind of passed through York and had never been to the town itself. It's a really nice little area mm-hmm. you have a beautiful harbor there's a cliff walk there's this fascinating there's long beach which starts with a couple of very nicely maintained um mobile home parks at the entrance oh yeah down at, towards the, yeah if you're coming up from the harbor um yeah it's funny my dad grew up there so i have another set of stories associated with each of those areas so as we see them now my dad has a different version of what it used to be. Lots of uh, local references, you know, like the running gag is like, you know, over the, you know, over down by the Maggie Nason Road, that's like not a road. It's just like where this woman Maggie Nason lived in 1952. <laughs> but um, it was certainly very fortunate to grow up in a town that had, yes, like such beautiful beaches. You had... Um, the way York is organized. I'm actually from Cape Nettick, which is just south of Agunquit. So Cape Nettick, even though it has its own post office, went to the York school system, which involved York Beach, York Harbor, and then just the town of York, which extended a little more west. Um, but there's a lot of resource there. We grew up going to a beach that was like Incredible. It's different now because of the way the sands have changed and, and stuff. But it was a uh, you had a small beach, and then about say fifty feet of water when the tide was out. Fifty feet of water that was about you know a little below your knee, so the kids could play. But then if, as you get a little older, you could go past the rock formation. And there was the deep hole. You know, like all all this stuff like that. You would you know someone from New Jersey would work all year long to gather up enough vacation time and resource to come up here and have that just for a few days and it was just kind of our backyard pretty fortunate and we had a mountain I mean use that term loosely it's more of a that's Agamemnon yeah a big hill and you have a little lighthouse the most photographed lighthouse in the world so small but mighty small but mighty indeed <laughs> it was being that we were there in the late September, it was really striking to me how busy it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the town was filled. The beach had all kinds of people walking up and down. And, and there really was an interesting <clears throat> um, pride. I mean, the, there was, I'm, when I say nicely maintain mobile home park, people had, they had their lawn chairs out front. Mm-hmm. They had their flags. They mm-hmm. had, I mean, this was something that absolutely, as you said, this was something that they was such an important part of their lives to be at their little bit of beach for however often they're able to get there 
and it and it seems like people return year after year. Hmm. Yeah, these aren't what you're referring to are like Lucas Seaton, not Lucas Seaton. That's the funeral home, <laughs> the campground. Is the name's escaping me, but these are people who have their plots and they come back every summer. So likely you've got a sect of people who are, you know, maybe retired down in Florida, but as soon as it warms up, they're back up in Maine. A lot of people are from there. A lot of people from, you know, Massachusetts and, you know, away they come to enjoy that beach. And it does stay busy um, up through uh, Columbus Day. That's really the end of the tourist season down there. It's always pretty busy, but certainly up until Labor Day. Thank you for listening to Love, Maine Radio. We hope you can join us for next week's program.